You're listening to the official Dietitian Connection podcast. This podcast gives you access to the most successful and influential experts in the dietetic profession. This podcast will inspire you, it will challenge you, and it will empower you to become a nutrition leader and realize your dreams. Welcome to today's Dietitian Connection podcast. My name is Marie Ferguson and I'm the Director of Dietitian Connection. And today it's my pleasure to welcome David Burke, who is the General Services Manager for MediRest at Newcastle Marta Public and Private Partnership. Welcome and thanks so much for joining us today, David. Thanks, Marie. It's my pleasure. Really looking forward to hearing what I think you have is a very interesting career as a dietitian. So I thought maybe to kick us off, you might be able to tell us why you chose to become a dietitian. Uh, that's a good question. I, I think it probably chose me, um, <laughs> and I'll I'll go a long, long way back in my history, and that is as a ten year old, um, I was an overweight kid at a time. Um, we're talking the uh, early to mid eighties, without giving away my age exactly, um, where there wasn't a lot of overweight kids. However, I was that, and my father had answered a. A ad in and in a Sydney newspaper about a trial or or a, or a group for overweight kids that was forming at at Parramatta at the time, and that, as it turned out, was a master's project at the University of Sydney for the dietetics course. So I had a very early introduction to dietitians as a as a ten year old kid, and I guess while that at that time I didn't say that yes I'm going to be a dietitian, I guess. Um, Throughout, you know, what happened after that, there was always that, 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 I guess, that exposure at that point in time. Mm, it's interesting. I've had interviewed a few dietitians who have had, you know, some early exposure to dietitians. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think, you know, these days that wouldn't happen with ethics. I was put on a 11,000 kilo, uh, thousand calorie diet at the time. And mm. uh, so I was on a diet as a 10 year old yeah, boy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I guess what that did do is spark an interest in, um, an interest in you know food and in, uh, in exercise and health and um, and at the same time or a little bit after that, my dad had a catering business, so there was always a presence of food and and, and fitness and health. And I guess um, one thing sort of led to another from there. Mm. So tell me about your career path and the different roles you've had because and they've all kind of been in the food service or catering well not all but either in the food service catering or management space yeah that that's right I guess I've kind of had a bit of an upside down career so I studied um um masters in nutrition and dietetics at Sydney uh once I finished that um I was really actually at a bit of a loss as what to do next at that time there wasn't I guess the diverse opportunities that there are now so there's pretty much only clinical food service and community there wasn't a lot in industry and and I'd had a a bit of a rough clinical placement so I actually went off and and chose to do something else at that time and I worked um, as a pharmaceutical rep for 12 months which I didn't particularly enjoy and then from there I got into um a food packaging role, uh, an account management role with a big multinational packaging company um, and was there for about um, six or seven years. And that that really opened my eyes up to 
you know, big food industry. So the packaging we were selling um, or providing was to the egg industry, to to the wine industry, to um, the apple industry, and then later on into some of the manufacturing spaces like big dairy companies and, you know, chewing gum. And, and so I, I, for those years, I was in those manufacturing facilities. And I guess with my food background, I was always interested from a food perspective. Um, and I guess, yes, yeah, so a very different exposure uh, at that point. Uh, and then from there, I kind of one day woke up and said, well, you've done all of this study. Um, maybe it's time to go back into dietetics. Um, and I guess I was a bit stuck at that point. I'd had, like I said, six or seven years out um, after finishing the master's. And so then I was a dietitian without any experience and like I think a lot of people started my own small private practice to get my foot back in the door, did that for a couple of years and then um, was lucky enough to get a role in a corporate health organisation um, and ran a big um, health promotion or health employee uh, wellness program for a big construction materials company, uh, for, again, for a few years. Um, and then, then I guess I wanted to get back into food um, and, and the opportunity come up with Compass Group, uh, MediRest uh, at the time and started in a role, worked through to um, a national dietitian role and then I guess the last four years I've been more in a management capacity um, here at the, the Newcastle MARTA managing uh, all the support services, so, you know, catering, cleaning, security, uh, the help desk, um, materials management, a couple of retail outlets, so a very... Uh, a very different role um, and do a bit of teaching as well at, at Bond and a little bit of um, a little bit of work with the uh, University of Newcastle so that's pretty much the career in a nutshell. Mm. It's interesting that like me you haven't done many days as a clinical dietitian and I know no. there are some dietitians out there who you know who don't want to be a clinical dietitian and I guess your example is that you can still have a great career in a role in dietetics but not necessarily in clinical dietetics. Oh, look, it's. I think that's obviously not the only option. Um, when you, when probably you and I studied dietitian dietetics, it was, it was really the front and centre kind of career opportunity. Um, but it's not that I didn't like it or, or didn't want to pursue it. It's just I, I think the way things played mm -hmm. out, and you go down a particular pathway and. You get down further down that pathway, and I guess there's some, you know, point of no return in in some yeah. of this, and and right. so yeah, you, you just end up, um, you know, you, you do what you enjoy and try different things, and and you end up where you are. So there's, there's certainly no deliberate strategy behind my career. It's if an opportunity looks good, yeah. you assess it at the time, and 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 then give it a go. Yeah, I think saying yes to those opportunities when they come along, and what you don't know where they're going to lead you. Uh, look, exactly, and I guess retrospectively I can look back and it looks like all of these things are connected in terms of food and management and, um, and food service, but in reality there was it, it didn't doesn't appear like that at the time. Mm -hmm. And your current role is really a, a huge role. I mean, how many people are you sort of um, responsible for? Yeah, so we've got a team of about 140 to 150 um, mm -hmm. frontline staff, um, that includes a group of direct reports uh, managers for me. So it's about um, about oh, I don't know the counties, but you know seven or eight managers. Um, um, you know, three hundred bed hospitals. So not the biggest 
hospital going around, but provide, yeah, those multitude of services that, um, again, I enjoy because it's, it's, you know, you apply similar principles, whether it's a cleaning, you know, situation just trying to resolve or a problem in security, that the processes are quite, quite similar regardless of, um, what the particular application is. So, but every day is different. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's, it keeps my mind, you know, really learning and, um, you know, understanding new things. And, you know, after four years of being here, I, I'd be lying if I said I knew it all. <laughs> and what, whilst every day is different, is there sort of, can you share with us some of the tasks you might do in your own? Yeah, so every day is, is certainly different. But look, my primary role is supporting, um, you know, my direct team. Um, you know, removing obstacles and blockages um, that they might face and trying to support the team. But then, you know, there's the day-to-day, you know, might be reporting, it might be, um, you know, meetings uh, with, you know, the hospital or, um, you know, suppliers, you know, there's a range of different, you know, range of different things that might come up. The other thing I do like to do um and I've, I guess in my journey, I've kind of become a student of lean and lean talk about going to the Gemba and that, that is going to where the work actually happens and spending mm-hmm. some considerable time, um, mm-hmm. not just observing, but really trying to understand the work and to what actually happens and what goes on and the conditions that come up. Um, and I think you can be of a lot of value there um, rather than just being um, camped at your, at, your, at your desk all day. So mm. I really enjoy getting down to the front line and, and, and having conversations and you know, really trying to soak up of what's actually happening. Mm. Apart from that, are there other things you've learnt about being a successful manager? Uh, well, I don't uh, the successful managers, maybe uh, um, I have to ask my my team about that. But uh, uh, what have I learned? Uh, look, I think you've got to build obviously a great team around you, and that's always a work in progress. Um, trying to create a culture that is a fun place to work, um, I think that greatly helps creating a place that people want to come to work. But the flip side of that is also having some really heart-to-heart, honest conversations, difficult conversations. Um, you know, they're as uncomfortable for you as they are for the person on the other side of the table. But quite often at the end, a lot of people thank you for having a level of honesty that maybe nobody else has, had, you know, had with, you know, a manager or an employee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the probably the other thing is letting people do their job and moving out of the way but also knowing when to intervene and get involved and to Mm. um you know not micromanage but just to slow things down so Mm -hmm. they're very simple high level things but i try to make things very simple Mm. it's probably the other thing and often in the space that you're working in there can be tension between dietitians and food service staff is there any advice you could give to dietitians who are working in this space or who might work in this space in the future? Um, yeah, look, you're, you're 100% right. It seems that there is that tension and, and I see that, um, you know, in my prior life to here, I, I went and worked across a number of uh, health facilities across the country and 
that seem to be present, and I've seen it in the, you know, in the private, not only in the private sector but the public sector. Look, I think quite often the thing that's missing is a relationship, and that's obviously a really obvious thing to say. But you've got a group of people, whether it's the food service manager or the person running the kitchen and dietetics, with different objectives, um, and I guess those those different objectives quite often can align, but really the glue that binds that together is to have a good working relationship. Um, I had a student actually, I was having a chat to a student the other day actually, she was talking about um, how the food service manager wouldn't change and wouldn't, um, you know, do what that she recommended. And I said, well, okay, well, let's, you know, let's let's sort of hypothesise here and if that food service manager was a patient, would you just ask them to change? And she said, well, no, I wouldn't. So I think as dietitians, we have great skills in behaviour change and we learn that and we practice that in a clinical setting or a community setting or in a face-to-face setting. But, but effectively, look, dietitians have great skills at change management and effectively in the food service environment, the interactions between dietitians and food service management are typically about changing something and I think we've got to think about that change process and how we go about that Um, and and we've learned how to do that but we certainly just don't demand and ask people to change because change doesn't happen like that typically. I think that's a great analogy and I was actually going to ask you about how do you go about implementing change within a larger organisation? Yeah, I guess look I'll sort of finish off um, with the food service part, but mm-hmm. quite often change is a negative. Um, you know, it's a deficit, particularly in a food service environment. We might come along with a set of menu standards and the menu doesn't comply and then we've got this gap. Now, a good place to start sometimes is, well, what do they, what does the food service currently already do well um, operationally and trying to build on that? And, you know, you can use some of the motivational interviewing techniques in those scenarios just as you can with a patient. So it's trying to create a positive change rather than, you know, this deficit. In, um, across a larger organisation, I mean, that is that is obviously a much harder thing to do depending on what you're trying to change. But I guess the first thing is you've got to identify who's your support and who's your allies in the bigger organisational structure, sometimes without that support, it's very difficult to, you know, have that impetus to change. Um, that also means understanding, you know, the politics in the organisation. Um, and these are things typically that we don't want to spend time on, but really they've got to be considered. And then, look, is spending more time planning than you think that's necessary Um rather than launching in because sometimes when you make a change, you, you get one go at it and if, if you don't get it right, then that might be the end of what you're trying to trying to achieve. I had a, a great mentor once tell me it's, you know, it's, it's all about relationships as you've talked about it yeah, and absolutely. how important the coffee catch-ups are <laughs> and yep. making sure you've got good relationships with everyone in the organisation so that when you have to do something that might be a bit difficult, then oh, look. Absolutely, and I think uh, it was interesting before the podcast. I thought, you know, I'm a big fan of podcasts, and I think where does this phenomenon come from? And I kind of can, you know, it's a complete hypothesis, but to me, it's like conversation and the human voice is like what's missing from our lives. Like we don't no longer we email, we tweet, we text, we 
that that face to face um um conversation and relationships sort of has gone missing a bit for our lives and you know you can li- listen to a podcast and listening to two people speak is strangely interesting it's like the old radio and i think mm-hmm. in a little way that's that's what's missing um is is you develop relationships when you work on things together when you problem solve um and that's you know largely a face to face um you know environment so that that is yeah hugely hugely important Mm. i'm imagining you've had to overcome quite a few challenges in your different roles um, particularly in your current role as general services manager just wondering if you could share any of those with us or how you overcome them challenges (laughs) i think every day is about overcoming challenges um that's a good question look I think often it's a mindset. Um, you know, I look at look at some of the, the guys and girls that work for me, and and they quite often react uh, to situations. And I think the first thing is um, staying calm and 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 really considering your approach. That that's difficult. Um, but I'm just trying to think of some specific challenges. Look, a common one that comes up is let's say the food service um, isn't meeting a certain requirement. Um, and quite often, you know, a food service manager, they're, they're very cost-focused. And as dietitians, we're obviously very nutrition-focused and, and food-focused and service-focused. And quite often when you dig deeper, you can find some very good cost-neutral solutions. And they're far easier to sell. To, to a food service manager, for instance, than, than you know, something that's going to cost tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. So quite often those things, when you dig deeper, are, exist, but really nobody's bothered to, to unpick them and to look. So and that's quite not, not very specific example, but um, the answers often lie, uh, are often there, but they need some some interrogations, some, some, some digging to to bring to the surface again it goes back to that what i was talking about earlier is actually going have a look at the work of how it's actually done and you'll see lots of habit and tradition and things that don't make any sense and the work happens just because it happens that way quite often for no obvious reason there's lots of opportunity there yeah i guess it's putting yourself in the other person's shoe which you were talking about as well and looking at it from their perspective oh look yeah absolutely and that, and that's a great way to also build respect um not to just view the world from where we look at again from a nutrition standpoint but you build a great deal more respect when you when you understand somebody else's world and and the things that they're dealing with and and really how you can be of value you know and and can assist them David, I was going to ask you, what characteristics do you think are important for a manager? Are there certain skills um, or attributes you think are important? Yeah, this is a hard question. Uh, um, uh, look, again, I'm very simple. Uh, try not to act like the boss. Um, I, I'm, you know, uh, it's it's funny. I was I was in a management position when I was quite young. So in the, my food packaging days, in my late twenties, I was sort of at the national sales manager type level so reasonably high level job um at a fairly young age and i always felt like i had to be somebody um 
not necessarily me. I had to fit in with the corporate way or and I think the thing I've learned as I've gotten older is you can be yourself and I've seen some great examples of um, colleagues as I've um, come through of people just being themselves and they're far more effective and authentic than you can ever be than you know trying to fit in with a with a culture or mm. um, or a certain way that you think a boss should act like. Mm. Yeah, I see that with many young managers where they think they have to be this hard, tough boss, and it it yeah. never works. <laughs> I don't think so. And and you know to share a story with you, I um, was running uh, a small food um, factory at one point, and. Um, I had a guy who was the production manager and this guy was your, you know, a well-seasoned manager and he was had a really rough exterior, um, a real Aussie kind of rough type of way about him and we had a fellow working for us and he ended up with a brain tumour and I saw com- incredible amounts of compassion and, and, and support come from this this production manager that – I wouldn't have ever guessed, but he delivered it in his own um, Aussie-like Ocker um, way. And I just looked at that and I thought, wow, you know, that that is, you know, a great sense of humour and, and he handled that incredibly well where mm. if we try and sort of act in a certain way, it doesn't – I don't think it mm. comes off. Mm. And, yeah, that was a really kind of powerful example. Yeah, definitely. Um and, yeah, like this guy was sort of like, I'm just trying to give you, you know, Pointer from, uh, I'm just trying to think of the character, Eric Banner's Pointer from back in the day is what this manager mm-hmm. was like. And he was yeah. supporting this guy through a brain tumour. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, but he did it remarkably well. Yeah. But yeah. gave a huge amount of himself. And, and, I, and I guess that's the other thing is that you can be vulnerable, you can be open, mm-hmm. you you. You don't have to put big barriers up. There's there's nothing to be afraid of. You know, I think that pushes people away. Definitely, I've always said, yeah, if you can be vulnerable, yeah, it lets people That's see okay. that you're you're real. That's right. That's okay. Mm. And look, there are moments you do need to be tough. There's no question, but you don't have to be like that the whole time. Mm-hmm. And what do you do to continue to grow and develop as mm. a manager? Or any continue to grow and develop. Look, I, I am a, a character flaw of mine. Is I'm so I'm usually so curious about how things work. So I have no problem in terms of finding things to learn. But usually, look, there'll be a problem or or, or a project or something come up that we have to solve. And I'm just a really big fan of. You know, somebody's probably already thought of the answer, or probably somebody's already doing something around this. And you, and with technology these days, you can go off and explore um, best practice. It's not a great term, but you can go off and explore that. And there's always lots of material online. And so, you know, I've touched on, you know, Lean Six Sigma, or, or um, you know, I'm doing a lot of work in the safety space at the moment. And there's just so much material out there around how the best organisations or best practitioners apply, you know, whatever their approach is. And so I, I have, yeah, my problem is I've got to cut down on the stuff that I look at because I end up, you know, spending all mm-hmm. night searching around. Coming down rabbit, rabbit warrens. Yeah, that's right. 
that's right. So, so yeah, that's how I guess I'm. I'm always interested in how, you know, how do the how do how do they clean the cleanest hospitals, as an example, or mm-hmm. or um, you know, what's what's you know efficient production techniques. You know, there's always something to look at. And I would encourage any young dietitians to go into food service, but do you have some tips for some aspiring dietitians who might want to work in food service or management? Look, again, I'll learn, learn from a recent conversation. Uh, like I said, I do a little bit of teaching at Bond and some students have just, as they've graduated, they've somehow remembered me and have got in contact and started just to ask questions and and i think most people um in my position or food service managers or food service dietitians i think are really happy to have just conversations with somebody who chases you out and show a level of interest um and i think you know and then from there i've had people or or students you know want to volunteer and and get involved um because food service, I think the opportunities, while the sort of segment seems to be getting bigger, the positions seem to be getting smaller uh, or, or, or are consolidating. Uh, it's not to say there's not opportunities, but um, I guess it's getting out there and trying to be um, open to those opportunities. But just make building your connections, I think, is a really good start. Um, you know, jobs just don't just present themselves but you can make yourself known that you're interested in food service and get involved in interest groups and I think that's the probably easiest starting point and just yeah just you know try and build your network Mm. couldn't agree more and you talked about opportunities do you see any particular new opportunities for dietitians Uh in the food service space I think in food services we've got uh, I guess a, a, a number of things happening. I mean, in the bigger, more institutional type food services, hospitals and aged care and the bigger food services, there, there seems to be a trend of um, sourcing food that's been manufactured in a, in a large manufacturing environment. So that creates, I guess, the opportunity at the manufacturing end um, because, for instance, in healthcare, we've got certain requirements, but quite often we'll go to a manufacturer and they won't really have a great understanding of why we need to know so much information about certain things, certain, you know, things about food or specifications or allergen declarations. So there seems to be quite a bit of um, opportunity at that end. Um, the other thing I've seen on a, on a, on a, on a smaller scale is, um, the areas that food technologists have typically worked in, um, I think there's an opportunity there with for dietetics in terms of it might be, um, you know, more in around labelling compliance or, again, allergen declaration, but there seems to be also some opportunity um, in smaller food companies that really struggle with some of the some of the legislation, you know, legislation requirements around foods, around food. Mm. I think those particular areas are growing. The, the the days of food service dietitians, I I think, are fairly static. But there's things happening at you know the, the periphery that um, that open up opportunities. They're not jobs as such. It's really their opportunities for dietitians to explore whether it's part of their 
private practice or, or whether, um, you know, the, the old cold calling and, 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 and trying to develop opportunities. Yeah, I've been a strong advocate for having a joint degree in dietetics and psychology, but also dietetics and food technology. Mm. I think, yeah, there's yep. a huge opportunity there. Uh, most definitely. Um, most definitely. But, but these are the, the opportunities that need to be explored. And, and I guess the one thing I think that we struggle with a little bit is our, our value proposition. It's exactly what we can do for those or problems are we solving for those organisations and knowing exactly what we can deliver. And I think sometimes we're a bit unsure about, about what we actually can deliver. Yes, but an opportunity nonetheless for some, you know, gung-ho yeah, dietitian to figure yeah, that out. Some yeah, some entrepreneur. entrepreneurial yeah, dietitian, right. absolutely, absolutely. So just to end with David, I was wondering if you could share, is there any sort of funniest moment you've had or weirdest moment, um, best moment in your management career? Look, I think the best moment is mm-hmm. the people you meet along the way, um, the good and bad. Um, I can remember in my earlier years when I was young and less, I guess, politically savvy about some of the behaviours that would happen in corporate environments. I'd probably get nearly write a book on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at more recent times, is I mentioned the particular production manager, how he interacted with a with a um, with an employee going through an incredibly tough time. To see things like that, you know, great humanity and kindness happens. Um, I think probably best moment is, well, in my last sort of five or six years with Compass, I've had a I've had a a boss that, um, ah, look, I, I by pure chance have come come across a guy who is just an incredible human being. Um, Yes, he can do all of the corporate things, but, you know, he's caring, compassion and um, great, you know, humanness um, has been, you know, and his support has been incredible. I mean, an example of that, um, uh, three years ago I was diagnosed with uh, testicular cancer and he was the first one on the doorstep. So Mm, they're not things that you kind of would expect happen under a corporate umbrella. But that they're the sorts of moments that do exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that 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 I think I you know I did think about that, and that 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 to me was a pretty remarkable moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does um, restore your faith in humanity, doesn't it? Oh, look, absolutely. Yeah. We've yeah. all got to have that level of optimism mm. um, because sometimes the world appears to be imminently negative, and mm. yeah, let's look for some of the amazing things that happen, and and that's something that you know for a boss, not just to make a phone call, but, you know, he drove a couple of hours from Sydney to make sure mm. he was there. And, yeah, wow. You know, quite literally hold my hand wow. when I needed wow. it most. Wow. So, yeah, that, that that's pretty memorable for me. Yeah, for sure. Well, I can tell just by listening to you and your stories, and this is why I wanted to have you on the podcast, is I would love working for you because I, I think you've got the qualities of a great manager. So thank you oh, for thank sharing you. your no, tips and you. advice and, with and all I of guess, us today. Yeah, and look, you know, these lessons you try and learn along the way and pick up the good bits and throw away the things you don't like and try and apply them in your own sort of practice. Um, and, yeah, so I had a different, certainly a very different pathway, but I guess from a dietitian point of view that, 
we can show our care in you know it's a caring profession by and large we can show our care in all sorts of different ways and i think you know management or food service there's an opportunity to show that mm. so thank you for highlighting the opportunities in food service and management with us today really really appreciate it and That's i hope okay. that didn't, all didn't about- think we'd we'd end up all sort of soppy and, no, and touchy-feely, but, um, you know, it, it's there. And, and I feel, you know, probably the same way with the people on the ground staff that, that work work for me as well. Um, the human beings, that have lives and work is a big part of that. So yeah, that's, that's the goal anyway. Yeah, but it's not all of it either and taking that into account, the, yeah. the rest of people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so thank you for sharing your story with us. And I I know I've got a lot out of it and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will as well. So thank you. I really appreciate it. My great pleasure. Enjoy the chat, Marie. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Dietitian Connection podcast. If you haven't already, we would love for you to check out the other episodes that we have available. We speak to trailblazers, dietitians who are doing amazing work within their practice and their businesses and also those who have really changed and advanced our profession. There's a whole library to choose from. And if you did enjoy the show, it would be so great if you could leave a review for us on iTunes and also uh, to pass this podcast on to your colleagues and friends. Thanks again for listening.